Welcome to Take a Wonder with Shebs, the show that features some of the biggest travel bloggers, TV and radio personalities and journalists from all around the world. Each show aims to take my guest on a wonder and uncover topics that may not be discussed on their platforms or in the media, whether that's the state of travel blogging and journalism as it is today, or whether there's enough diversity within the industry. Perhaps what impact technology and social media have had on content creation, or in general the impact of current affairs on the industry. I also try and find out the journey behind each individual's success, as this is more important to me than the actual travel. Now this is a very special edition of the show. I'm going to be talking to a couple of individuals about the current situation in Afghanistan. I felt it was important to discuss this topic as myself, I was interested in traveling to Afghanistan as a tourist, seeing what it was like and seeing the beauty from what I've heard. I spoke to an individual who's in the grounds of Kabul as we speak and he told me about the last 20 years, what it was like before 2001 and his hope at this moment. The travel professional I spoke to, I wanted to get a perspective on what he felt when he traveled there and what he experienced and what he makes of it right now and his hope as well. I did speak to a family who did flee and a couple of women as well but unfortunately they didn't want to be shown on camera or be heard. The person I spoke to in the ground of Afghanistan he did tell me to protect his identity and change his name and I will be doing this to protect him from any harm. I also did try and get in touch with a representative of the Taliban and get their perspective but unfortunately I was unable to get someone to come and speak to me. So let's speak to Masoom who I've changed the name of course and see what he had to say about the whole situation and what he is going through right now. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I know it's a very difficult time where you are in Afghanistan, so I really appreciate it. Tell us what it's like at this moment where you are in Kabul. Uh, thank you very much, Sheb. Uh, thank you for uh, having me. Um, it's such an honor to be to be talking to you. Uh, well, um, as as the world witnessed uh, what has transpired in the past one month since August 15 in Afghanistan, uh, it's uh, it's not pretty uh, here. It doesn't look good. It's uh, uh, it's absolutely crazy. Um, um, the Taliban uh, took control of uh, Kabul on August 15. Unexpectedly, and no one had any idea that this would happen. Even one day before, 24 hours prior to uh, the August 15, on the August 14, the life was normal in Kabul. Nobody had absolutely any idea that such thing would happen. But when we woke up uh, in the morning, of course, there were some rumors uh, circling around that there might be an attack uh on uh, the capital but we had absolutely no idea that um uh, they will be entering kabul and they will be taking a full control um uh, but uh, life since then hasn't been easy for almost everyone 
uh, as the world saw uh, our youth, our people uh, desperately clinging on to U.S. Air Force planes and then falling off from the sky. Uh, that's how the situation was. That's how desperate uh, the people of Afghanistan were to to flee the war, to flee the country and finally uh, live somewhere peaceful. Uh, but uh, life since then uh, it hasn't been easy. Uh, we are witnessing mass protests all across the countries by uh, women, by women who used to work in ministries, in NGOs, in higher education, university students, school students, uh, women who uh, implemented a vast array of uh, women empowerment projects all across Afghanistan. They don't want to sit at home. They want to raise their voice, not only for themselves, but but for the rest of uh, Afghanistan to make sure that they claim their right. Uh, they know their place. The women of Afghanistan, the youth of Afghanistan are not the women and the youth of the 90s uh, that that would just let anybody take control and uh, and uh, and uh, and rule this country. We are a democratic, independent country. Afghanistan was and will always be an independent uh, 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 country. Its people love freedom. They love peace. We love each other. We love our neighbors. We don't want war with anybody. But unfortunately, it's imposed upon us. We have been bullied for the for the last forty or fifty decades by everyone. We have been betrayed by our neighbors, by our by the international community around close to $2.3 billion, trillion dollars, I'm sorry, was spent. That is a that is a humongous amount of money. $2.3 trillion was spent in Afghanistan since 2001. But we're just seeing that all is left is the Humvees and the, the tanks of the Americans who are now in control of the Taliban. That's the result of the 20 years of struggle of the youth and women and the academics of Afghanistan after spending that much amount of money, after losing uh, our soldiers, uh, their lives, sacrificing their lives, their families, hundreds and thousands of people have lost their lives building this country. And now we're back to square one. Now we're back to on the brink of a civil war. Unfortunately, uh, as we can see, that uh, a, a humanitarian crisis is is unfolding in in the Panjshir province. I want to know what it was like pre two thousand and one, before the first invasion. What it's been like during the twenty years, and obviously you've explained what it's been like post August fifteenth. So just explain to us those those time periods between before two thousand and one and during the 20 years that you were in Afghanistan? Before 2001, uh, uh, we uh, almost more than 50% of the Afghan population were refugees, as they still are. Many of them in countries like Pakistan, Iran, India, Indonesia, and these places. Um, as a smaller group, of course, in the Europe and America. Uh, we were refugees in Pakistan and uh, uh, we came to Afghanistan uh, in post-2001. We saw that um, Mr. Hamid Karzai was elected as the president uh, for the interim government. And uh, uh, around 36 to 40 countries and the international community uh, pledged their commitment to the Afghan people at that time in the post-2001 uh, era. Um, 
everybody in the world, the journalists, the human rights defenders, uh, the the all the political experts and everyone, they they just rushed into Afghanistan and they said that, okay, it's now an independent state. It's now time to build this country. Enough of the civil war, enough of the Russian invasion, enough of all those uh, years in war. Now it's time to build this country from the scratch. Unfortunately, uh, uh, the government at that time in the post-2001 era was also um, uh, not not a very innocent government, I would say, because um, um, the, the, I, every, every time I think about it, I, I cringe because the fall of Afghanistan was even predicted at that time. Uh, some people would say that uh, Afghanistan was rising. It was, uh, it was, you know, people were trying very hard. People were finding jobs. The unemployment was being eradicated. Yes, that's true. But people were predicting this day even in 2002, 3, 4, and until 2021, because we knew that this is imminent. This will come. Um, we were constantly invaded. We were constantly bullied bombed subjugated to social engineering robbed and 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 we have been patronized by our neighbors we have been patronized by those in power and finally abandoned so when we as a youth and and the women of afghanistan when 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 we talk about uh what the post 2001 era contributed to the to the rebuilding of Afghanistan. Yes, it did. It significantly changed people's lives. But unfortunately, the lack of commitment from the government at that time was absolutely embarrassing. Their sense of apathy, their corruption, the warlords, they just took control of the power uh, and, and, and everything was disaster. But then when Ashraf Ghani came to power in 2014, um uh, he uh, contested the election with Dr Mr Dr Abdullah at that time uh, then we had some hopes we thought okay this is an educated president he was a professor at the Stanford University he wrote dozens of books on how to fix broken states he might have an idea of how to just once and for all build this country from the scratch. But unfortunately, uh, nothing happened. Uh, this, this A small elite circle uh, surrounded President Ghani, uh, who were not that innocent, who were corrupt, who used uh, 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 their their power and their uh, position in the government to to loot a lot of people. And when all of a sudden uh, the youth and and I would call it the woke generation finally realized that there might be something cooking behind the scene, we just said, okay, this is not fair because you have to tell us. Our government owes us uh, an explanation. They should tell us that whether the peace talks in Doha will have a result the peace talks with Pakistan will have a results. Uh, the peace talks, the involvement, the uh, the involvement of the United States will contribute. Unfortunately, no one in the government were ready to tell us the truth, and we were in a total dark. At the youth of Afghanistan. We had absolutely no idea what's happening. We would just sit in our offices and discuss. You know, let's just wait. 
that's all we can do. We cannot uh, force anyone from the government because, well, you know, that's not how things works in Afghanistan. All you can do is just you can just post on social media your concerns or ask your friends to just give you uh, some information about what's going to happen in the next couple of days. But then uh, when we woke up, all of a sudden we knew that one uh, the one uh, the 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 provinces one after the other were collapsing and Taliban were gaining control. They were seizing. Um, they were uh, seizing a lot of land, provinces, uh, government offices. But then we thought, okay, this had happened for the past 20 years. They might not be able to capture uh, big provinces such as Mazar, Kandahar, Kunduz, or especially the capital, Kabul. But then we went to sleep and then we woke up on the August 15 and it was boom. It was just uh, the government left, the president fled. His deputies left. Uh, they, uh, many of them, took a lot of money with themselves, and they abandoned us. From everything that you've told me, the last twenty years, as I've suspected, hasn't been as rosy as what I've heard from people. And I have to say that there's been friends uh, I've known, colleagues who have gone to Afghanistan and have traveled as tourists in the last 20 years and they've come back to me and in fact i spoke to someone recently and he said afghanistan there was a misconception in the western media it's not what it seems it's not what we are told their experience of afghanistan was actually a good experience so from everything that you've said to me it seems like there's been a bit of a hindrance with your life, really, in the last 20 years whilst, that, whilst you've been in, Af in Afghanistan. Oh, Sheb, the problem is that, unfortunately, uh, uh, those people are right, because those who travel to Afghanistan in the past 20 years for just a week or two, they travel to Salang, they travel to Panjshir, uh, they... they uh, they ate good food. They had friends to uh, to to just uh, rent them a place or to invite them to their homes. And and we Afghans are known for our hospitality and our tasty food all over the world. Their experience, I would conclude, their experience in in just one week, seeing a country for just one weekend or or two weeks with your bodyguards, with your armored vehicle. With your digital camera, it's it's something different. Posing for Instagram pictures, or for tweeting for your friends, or posting for posting on Snapchat, it's a different story. But when you actually live here, when you actually navigate through life and death on a daily basis, that's another story. Unfortunately. And it somehow amazes me how these uh, these diaspora, especially the Afghan diaspora that I'm really disappointed in many of them, they discovered Afghanistan from their desk sources and from their stories. All of many of them, unfortunately, were just uh, uh, arm armchair critiques. They haven't uh, truly discovered Afghanistan because they had a British or American passport. They came to Afghanistan for a couple of days. Uh, his or her father was a minister or a CEO at some company backed by the government. They were provided with security guards, 
with the armored vehicles, with a lot of cash. They would travel to even to the remotest parts of the country and they would go back to America and Europe and say, well, I just visited, I just came back from Afghanistan and this everything is rosy. There is absolutely no problem. But unfortunately, their view, their understanding and perspective of Afghanistan was only limited to the food and to the beautiful locations. They didn't really interact with the with the people of Afghanistan from the ground. People of Afghanistan on the ground were actually struggling to uh, provide food for their families uh, on the daily basis. I know, I personally know some people who are nowadays, and not only nowadays, but since the past 20, 25 years, have been struggling to earn $2 a day. Even nowadays, even if you find an Afghan in the Kabul city who is earning $1 a day, who is close to like 85 to 90 Afghanis, the currency, that guy would be considered lucky among his peers and his relatives. So my uh, uh, question to this group of people who would just paint a rosy picture that everything was, you know, everything was good. America was doing good. The international community was doing good. Pakistan is doing good. India is doing good. No, they were all just, you know, it was a it was a battleground here for all these countries. But Sheb, I'm telling you this. I was on the ground with these people. I have traveled during my work. Uh, with the with the N, with the NGOs and with the embassies that I've worked with, I have traveled to some of the remotest parts of Afghanistan. I have seen people eating leaves because of hunger. I have seen children die of hunger. So I would like to invite these journalists and these travel bloggers and everyone to come to Afghanistan and contact me and I will take you to these places, some of the remote parts of the countries, and I will show you the living condition of these people. And I and I will ask these government officials and the Taliban, the Pakistan, the international community, the opposition and everyone that where where this $2.3 trillion was spent on? What did you guys do? We don't see any results. So unfortunately, uh, now that I'm seeing some of the diaspora, the Afghans in the UK, in the United States, in some other countries, you know, just sitting there tweeting and, you know, we are raising our voice. We are Afghans. We are strong. No, you had the opportunity to build these institutions in the last 20 years. We were looking up to you. You were the generation, the educated generation, the Fulbright, the Chevening generation, the generation who, who studied in some of the most prestigious universities all over the world. We were expecting from this generation that, okay, our brothers and sisters are now here in Kabul, in Afghanistan. We will support you. You are the educated class. Let's just roll up our sleeves and work for our people. But unfortunately, uh, many of them, they were the first to just... You know, um, uh, um, ask the Americans to just let them uh, gain access to the airport and they just left. They were in the front row. Many of these influencers, these Afghan influencers, they just stand in the first, uh, stood in the first row and they were trying to flee the country on August 15th. So my question to those people is, where is your commitment? 
even some of our own journalists, prominent journalists who I will share their uh, links with you, they just fled us. I can give you a very good example of uh, 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 some of the very uh, famous and prominent journalists who have very close relations to 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 some people in uh, in very high positions all over the world. They just fled the country and now they're tweeting from Canada, from Abu Dhabi, from America, from uh, uh, London that you know you people should go out on the streets and 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 fight with the Taliban. How am I supposed to go out on the street and fight with my fists? I don't even own a knife, and you're asking me to to go out and raise my voice against these people. They will just shoot me on the site. I have pictures with me uh, that uh, uh, a lot of these journalists they were shot, they were brutally uh, harassed, they were they were detained for hours and for days and they were investigated. So a lot of this information is unfortunately not going out to the rest of the world. The I my my request to the rest of the world to the people like you Sheb who have access to thousands of people, your followers, your friends, your peers, is that please listen to the people on the ground. Connect with the people who are actually in danger and have been through these traumatic experiences for the past couple of decades. You cannot just count on your source who is sitting in London, who is sitting in New York and LA and just tweeting from his iPad. It's gone through so much and... My question to you would be, how can you come out of this with the infrastructure the way it is at the moment? As you said, women aren't getting the opportunities, children, people in departments where their profession, they're not being able to excel. I've spoken to a few people who, as you were saying before, there are sympathizers of the Taliban. They, some of them have said, actually, it's better with the Taliban in than having the Americans in there. So what do you say to those types of people? And have they been sort of almost brainwashed? And you also mentioned you're disappointed with your journalists, your influences within Afghanistan. I know of quite a few sportsmen with who are from Afghanistan never really spoke about this. Now, do you also feel as though they weren't able to because of the fear of being punished what's the solution behind all of this how can afghanistan come out of this there's people like yourself talking to me now i assume you've taken a risk talking to me actually because you are in the grounds of afghanistan so what can be done the best thing uh, to do would be that uh, all Afghans, we join forces and we work for the betterment of this country. We work to rebuild our country. We are not privileged enough at the moment to just, you know, to to create groups and to to create opposition and to 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 blame each other and to to uh, uh, risk each other's lives and to kill each other eventually. At the moment, if those sympathizers uh, of of the current government, the Islamic Emirate government, are telling you that we are committed to rebuilding Afghanistan and serving the Afghan people, then they should prove it. Then we want proof. 
because uh, many youngsters, many youths such as myself have been at home for the past one month. There are no jobs. There are no schools, no universities. There are no restaurants open. There is no work. The ATMs are closed. The banks, there are hundreds of people queuing to the banks and the banks are not giving you more than $200 per week. You're only allowed to withdraw $200 from your account. So someone, if, if someone is defending this government that they should explain it to me, how is it possible in the 21st century for a democratic country such as Afghanistan to operate in, in a government consisted of 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 all the people who are who ninety five percent of them are above the age of fifty, where is the presence of youth? Where is the the share of youth and the women? We don't even have one woman as a representative, uh, or as a minister, or as a CEO representing any group of people from all across Afghanistan. Not one. So I'm actually really surprised that 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 a youngster from Afghanistan nowadays would uh, would say that, okay, this government is good. I'm not defending the past government. I told you earlier, Shep, that the past government was a, a group of, uh, I would call it a cult. There was a cult of like five or six people who had monopoly on power, on banks, on everything. They controlled everything, and they were the first to flee the country. I'm not defending the government uh, of, of, of Ashraf Ghani because he fled. He was a traitor. He, he abandoned his people, unfortunately. And his name will go down in the history books of Afghanistan as one of the biggest cowards in the history of Afghanistan. Because he abandoned his people, he should have stood his ground, he should have defended his people, our, and, and our forces should have... He, 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 he not only def- uh, um, uh, betrayed the people of Afghanistan, but he also betrayed our uh, national forces. Now I'm asking these youth, these youngsters who are the sympathizers of the current government that why, where is the proof? If you're saying that this is the change version, this is the change version of the Taliban, then prove it to us. You cannot just lash women in the public. You cannot just shoot journalists and bloggers and YouTubers and and, 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 and NGO workers. If you're killing people on the road, then, then, then how can you expect people to just believe you? It's been one month since every single institution in Afghanistan, government institution, is paralyzed. There's absolutely no hope for the youth, for the women, for the elderly, for the children of Afghanistan at the moment. And that's a fact. Yes, I am risking my life interviewing, uh, giving an interview uh, at this moment to you, Sheb, because I know that that it, it could get me killed. But I love my country, and if I don't speak right now, and then 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 when is the right time to speak? Unfortunately, uh, I just recently got in touch with one of these influencers that I talked about that I mentioned earlier. He was in Canada, and I asked him that, okay, you had more than hundred thousand followers on Twitter and on Instagram. You had a platform. Your job was not to just abandon your people and just flee the country. Your job was to stay here, work for the people, 
mobilize, regroup, rebel, whatever you call it. Just work for the people. Serve your people. You cannot just go and uh, 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 sit in Europe and then just, you know, order the people of Kabul here to just rebel against uh, the Taliban with nothing. How am I supposed to rebel? I don't have the power. I just want to interject in what you said there. So you said that influencer who had 100,000 Twitter followers and a couple of hundred thousand, I think you said, on Instagram, you felt as though he abandoned Afghanistan and was telling you, or people of Afghanistan to rebel against the Taliban. Now, one would say, well, he's he's fled knowing he's, he's trying to save himself and any risk of him possibly getting in danger of potentially dying. But your question, well, I guess your question to him would be is why did you flee when you know you've got the influence and then tell people to fight for Afghanistan when you could have done it yourself? I absolutely respect his decision because he was a family man. He fled the country. If, if I'm also scared for my life. I also want to leave the country. But the difference between my situation and his situation is that I'm nobody. I'm just a normal citizen. He had the backing of more than 100,000 people in Afghanistan. If you're not committed to your country, if you're not a patriot Afghan, then then you don't have the right to patronize anybody else. You cannot just, uh, you know, tell people to follow you or to um, to support you or to financially support you or to support your cause. And then you're the first one as a leader to flee. It would be like a commander uh, gathering up his forces. And then uh, as soon as the fight starts, the commander is nowhere to be found. And then the soldiers are just wandering all over the place and have absolutely no idea where our leader is. This is why Sheba is saying that when someone is trying to be an influential, when someone decides to be anyone, a social media personality, a journalist, a politician, a minister, a president, they have a duty. They have a duty from from every perspective, from the from the Islamic perspective, from the social perspective, from every world perspective. It's their duty to stand, to stick by their people until the end. As I said to you earlier, some of my friends, colleagues, journalists who have traveled to Afghanistan have said what a beautiful country it is, but perhaps they didn't see the side that you've just described to me and described to all of us. My only hope and only prayers is that you're safe. People have listened to your story. Let's just hope that there's no other battles, there's no civil wars, as you said, there potentially could be. Afghanistan is such a beautiful country. And I think uh, the reason sometimes I tell my friends and families that the reason that it was betrayed is because it's such a beautiful country with such a beautiful people. We are very diverse ethnic, 14 or 15 ethnic groups living in Afghanistan, diverse, rich culture. It's it's such a wonderful, beautiful country, every part of Afghanistan. But unfortunately, uh, nobody is letting us live in peace. Uh, we are a nomadic, uh, middle, lower class, but very, very 
hospitable, very educated, good people in Afghanistan. I wish you the best of luck and thank you very much for telling me your story. Thank you very much, uh, Sheb. That was Masoom and he told me his story there. As I said to you earlier, I changed his name to protect his identity. I'm going to be speaking to Shane Dallas now, who is a travel professional who has traveled to Afghanistan. What he made of the country and what he thinks of it all right now. So let's have a listen. What I want to ask you about is your perception before you went to Afghanistan and whilst you were there, what were your thoughts and what, what are your thoughts now on what you see? Okay, so before I went to Afghanistan, I had obviously done research. And whenever you go into a place which has the potential to be volatile, which Afghanistan is, it can change very quickly, as we have seen, you need to do your research. So I did a lot of research east of the country, uh, and all the reports I was reading was that infrastructure is not great, uh, which is true, that it's incredibly friendly and the hospitality is wonderful. Uh, and that it's it's an amazing destination with beautiful mountains. And the thing I remember most was the beautiful mountains. I had a friend who visited in the 70s, and he said it was the most beautiful country he'd seen, and that was really my motivation. So when I had an opportunity, I went there. Uh, when I went there, the hospitality, and it's really interesting. I love cricket, and I think I may have mentioned this before, and I uh, the Afghanistan team, their home team, uh, their home Sharjah in the United Arab Emirates. And I remember going there to a cricket match, cricket matches, and the Afghans I met would say, oh, next time you come to Sharjah, stay at my place. And that is that mentality is what I found in Afghanistan. I was a bit nervous. There's, there's no question. If you don't have nerves, you're probably not alert and aware of the your surroundings. And I was nervous. When I got there, I mean, it was one of the most influential countries in my life I've ever visited. Uh, one thing I noticed that was very strong was all the almost the entire absence of women in the street. So there, in the rural areas, I found that uh, I was not served by one woman in a shop. Not none of the host, you know, the homestays I stayed at, or the you know the little um, guest houses. I was never served by one woman. The only women I saw working were in the fields and farms. But in terms of retail, shops, nothing. Women weren't allowed to leave the home uh, without permission. And when they did, and when they did, they had to, if they left with the man, the, the husband or the brother, they always walked behind them. And so you remember, is the man was walking in front and his wife, who was obviously a bit shorter, was behind in the full, you know, the metallic blue burqa. And behind her, walking behind her, was their daughter who probably just reached puberty maybe 12 or 13, and this is the only time you saw the women. Sometimes they go out in twos, but you, it was, um, you know, I, even my guide I spoke to and I said to him, what's it, you know, about his family? And he says, oh, no, my, my wife never leaves at home. You know, th this was considered this was considered quite normal there. Uh, so that was one thing. Uh, the other thing with Afghanistan is the infrastructure is is wasn't good where I was. I remember the road I had to travel. Uh, you'd, you'd be lucky to average 20 kilometres an hour, and that was the main road in the region. Really tough. Uh, the villages are very small uh, because of the – to sustain the people. It's a very harsh environment in winter. In summer, it's a lot better. I was there just in the cusp of summer. 
villages, 150 people. That seemed about the average, maybe 200, and that was it. And so you have very close-knit communities in these areas that work together. Medical facilities were very sparse. So if you had a serious medical issue, that's one of the reasons mortality rates were so high. I mean, they could be really high, you know, 25 30% higher because there's no medical facilities in some of these areas. And that is changing. There is some change in that area, but wonderfully hospitable. Even, even visited a school, uh, went past and in the vehicle. It was rare to see any vehicles. And all of a sudden, all these children, hey, hey, typical, as you see in a lot of the world. And, and I said, come, let's go back and have a look. Went in there. And it was a, it was a co-ed school, boys and girls, but I'd say between 90 and 95% of the students were boys in this primary school. And, and that was the rule. I, because I was a man, I had almost no interaction with any women at whatsoever. And uh, that delineation was probably best, best shown by an incident. And a young guy came up, he was probably late teens, early 20s, and he said, uh, what do you think of Afghan and I said to him, I don't know. I haven't met any. You know, I, I, I never see them. And just as we said that, one of the burqa-covered women walked past. She was she was alone, and her you know burqa flowed out behind her. And he, he, and he you know nudged me. He said, "Isn't she beautiful?" And I, you know, that's a very different concept to beauty to what I had. And and I said, oh, you know, why do you find it beautiful? And kind of couldn't really explain it that well. But the thing is I found all the preconceptions I had of Afghanistan were rendered minimal by the time I went there because it was far more complex than I was led to believe. And I was more confused about the state of Afghan Afghanistan and societal and other expectations than I was before I arrived. And I, I left them thinking, how could you possibly summarise this country in a few sentences, it's just not possible. I'm interested in knowing what time you went. So we all know 2001 was when the invasion happened. So the people I've spoken to in the grounds of Afghanistan have said Western society who have traveled there. And one of the guys I spoke to who said journalists within Afghanistan influencers you mentioned travel bloggers didn't necessarily show the afghanistan that he had seen and he said he was a very educated individual i've spoken to some women who have not wanted to be on camera but they've said you explained there they didn't really have they don't really have the chance to progress in education in a career when you went and the, and the time that you went did you? I know you said you you noticed a little bit about that, but was your aim to sort of show the beauty rather than the horrors? Because that is one. Well, all everyone that I've spoken to has said that wasn't put out to the world. So if people knew about it, they would have spoken about it and said, "Hang on, this is not going to look good." Once everything is over, would that be fair to say, or what's your perception of that? Okay, so I went mid twenty thirteen. Okay, mid twenty thirteen, I was there. Uh, but my experience is there. I've spoken to other people who went there, and they saw pretty much the same thing as well. I I, I travel to to experience and to learn and to understand. I don't go particularly to say here's all the the beauty or here's the horrors. I mean, there are some cases I've been to where 
it is impossible to avoid the horrors such as Rwanda, uh, the genocide of the Moros in Rwanda. They are incredibly powerful and disturbing places. And one has to mention them. In Afghanistan, I was there. I did. I wrote about it at the time, just reporting on what I see uh, either way. And I, when I travel, I see plenty of things. Whether I agree or disagree with them is irrelevant. I just, I just, I just tell what I see. I, I'm a positive per- person, so I tend to focus on the positive. People who know me, I'm a very positive person, so I'll focus on hospitality and the food and the and the incredible natural beauty. And it is still the most beautiful country I've seen. So my friend who visited in the 70s was absolutely correct. So I'll focus on that. I don't go to comment on societal or cultural issues because even there, it will give me an awareness. It will give me an awareness of the complexities around me, and that's what I found, that it was far more complex than what I previously imagined. But full understanding, uh, there's, there's no way even spending months there you'd have trouble getting a full understanding of the complexities. I mean, I live in Kenya and I've been here for years, and oh, even after years there are still things I'm learning. It is, And Afghanistan, I think, is a very complex, a very complex country. As as we know, we when I travel and you travel as well. One of the things we might not necessarily see because if you've lived in a place for a long time or if you've lived there forever, you're always going to get a different angles. So I'll give you an example of when I've traveled to places like Cambodia, I saw, well, you can't, again, escape the, the genocide that happened there, but you don't know exactly what those people went through. So question to you is, as travel journalists, travel bloggers, travel influencers, or people who are in the media, do you feel as though the travel industry hasn't tackled these sort of issues? Maybe talk about it a bit more. Do you think that there needs to be a shift in that? I actually don't. And the reason I don't these countries where people tend to comment on, they tend to comment on countries where they don't fully understand. And the only way to fully understand is to spend a lot of time there and also be aware, and that particularly in places such as Middle East and Africa, a foreigner, especially a white foreigner, commenting on internal issues, is, is it just reminds them too much of the colonialist time. It's considered quite offensive. Uh, for that to occur. And so, therefore, I would say to be respectful, uh, you, you observe, you ask, you ask, it's good to ask questions and learn, but then to become an advocate, I think that becomes very difficult to do because unless you have had time there, uh, you don't have perspective. And, and even if you, so when you spend a little time in a place, you get an awareness and some perspective, but get an understanding to really speak with knowledge on an issue, you need a significant amount of time. And I used to make do this early on. I used to comment on places I travelled, but the longer I travelled, I realised I actually had very little understanding of the places I was travelling to, so I, I don't comment anymore because it, as it's, I've seen too many instances of this where people comment about countries they haven't visited uh, acting like they know what's happening where they don't. And I've been to places like Afghanistan. There's no way I could comment on the complexities of the society, and I've been there, uh, let alone someone who hasn't visited. And also, and, and the one thing, again, I say, I know in quite a lot of countries, it's, it's, it's bordering on the offensive 
to be commenting on this is how you should do things within a country. Uh, you know, within a European context, I'm Australian. Foreigners can talk about Australia and say, ah, you know, you should be doing this, you should be doing this. And, and an Aussie will go, oh, yeah, okay, mate, you know, that's okay. And we'll take it. But in a lot of countries, that is considered offensive. And I remember being in a country, uh, and I'm not going to mention it, it was in Africa, and I was sitting, and it was a rarely visited country, not, not a properly visited country. And I was sitting, there was another tourist next to me, and there was a few locals. It was all men, and we were all sitting chatting. And this guy happened to mention that he went to one accommodation. It wasn't great. It was just kind of middle, right? So he said, well, you know, it was you know, the toilet didn't work well and whatever. And he left. And the people, the locals who were at the table were really offended that this person even thought something average of one of the places in their country. So you've got to be aware that if you are going to comment that there's a lot of local sensitivities that you can be stepping on uh, when you con commenting, your intentions may be good, but uh, and and there will be people, even if they agree with uh, your sensitivities, will uh, you know they may agree with what you're saying, but they don't want to hear it from a foreigner. They don't want to hear it from an outsider. You know, it's our problem. Let us handle it. And that is a very common thing I've heard in a lot of countries around the world that are, let's say, you know, not Western economies. Not Western economies. What would you say to those that I've spoken to have said, as or as journalists within the country when we visit, we should have done more. What would you What do you say to this type? What would you say to them? I, I I told it exactly like it was when I was there. Uh, I I told I said that I hardly saw women. I saw there was a school and it was mostly mostly uh, boys. Uh, this is stuff I've said, and I'm, and it's not saying it with a critical eye. It's not saying and condemning it. It's just giving a matter of facts. And it's same with I went to North Korea. It's very easy, and I've seen this done many times, to talk about North Korea and, and point it from a very negative view from someone visiting the country. All I did was report on what I saw. All I did was report on what I saw. That is up for the reader to decide whether that's a good or bad thing. That's not for me to make a judgment call. That's not for me to make a judgment on the benefits or the detriments on their country. Should more people have reported accurately? That is true, and I think they should have, but the fact is very few people travel to Afghanistan. It's one of the least touristed places on earth, and therefore you have a very small number of people talking about the country. And it's, anyone who's been there, anyone who's been there, uh, will will have uh, into rural areas. I never went to Kabul, and Kabul is very different. And the reason I say that, uh, you know, it's very different, a big capital city to the rural area. It's like comparing London with, say, rural Yorkshire or the US comparing New York with the Bible Belt. You, you cannot compare it. Uh, so I can't comment on Kabul. Okay? I can't comment. But what I saw were the rural areas, and it, there were women had a very limited role in society there. Very, very limited. And uh, if you want an idea, uh, have a look at the World Bank and have a look at tertiary rates for men and women in the country. And men, a lot of the in the provinces, 34 provinces, uh, they will show you that the participation rate is you know, 15, no, 18, 20, 25, you know, 30, you know, around that percentage. Uh, in that percentage, you look at women's rates and it's down. A lot of the provinces are two, three, four, five. And, and that is pretty much what the the, in, the information's out there. It's matter that it didn't get the publicity before. 
And now that there's been a change and there's a new government, suddenly it's getting a lot of publicity where, in fact, I think quite a few of the circumstances haven't changed from what I see. What I'm seeing people complaining about now is what I saw when I was there in 2013, and this was an area that was rural, and it was an area at the time that uh, didn't have any affiliations really to kind of any outside groups as such. So it, it, there's a, it's deeply conservative, and it's, there's a strong societal and cultural influences there that have resulted in what we see very low participation rates of women in tertiary education, according to the World Bank. And the fact is that even in places that were extremely welcoming and friendly to me, women weren't allowed out of their home without permission. And that's just the reality of the place. And But there were so few people who went, that message is not going to, to get out there as much. Now that people are focusing, they're discovering it. But a lot of this was there before. What hope do you have for Afghanistan? And do you ever see yourself going back if things pick up? I would go back, not now. I think it's too uncertain at the moment. Uh, we are seeing different signals. Yeah, I'd consider it. And it's impossible to say now because I can't predict. Who would have said six months ago, say say in um, early early July, who would have said that a trouble would have fallen to the whole line? You couldn't. So it's impossible to predict that far in advance. If the circumstances are right, would I return? I would because it's one of my favourite countries I've visited. There's some places I definitely wanted to visit that I missed, but it's just too early to tell and only time will tell here. Only time will tell. So, Shane, thank you very much for telling, about, telling us about your experience. I really appreciate it. And I'll speak to you very soon. Thank you very much. That was Shane Dallas and his perspective and his experiences on Afghanistan. Now, I did say earlier I spoke to a family and a few women as well. Now, they didn't want to come on the show because they wanted to protect their identity. Now, the family I spoke to have fleed Afghanistan and they're safe in Europe. They did say it was devastating to see what they saw. They were worried about their safety and they are just happy to have gotten away. The women I spoke to as well, they did tell me that over the last 20 years, they've been treated as second class citizens. Opportunities have never been there. And what you see now is something that's been going on for years. I want to finish off by saying, as a travel professional, for me, it is essential to tell the whole story wherever you travel to, as it could be pivotal in someone's life. Perhaps if there were more visitors to Afghanistan over the years and stories like Masoom's made it into the Western media, it could be a different scenario for him and many other Afghans who are terrified for their lives. I will also touch on what Masoom said about his fellow Afghans wanting him to fight against the Taliban. This has been echoed by some of our politicians and political commentators here in the UK. Some of them who all year have been petrified of footballers taking the knee as they felt it was a sign of Marxists taking over the country. Perhaps they don't realise how lucky they are. My hope for Afghanistan and the people is that there is a resolution and I can travel there in the near future. You can follow my guests on all of their social media platforms. The details are in the description. That's it for Take a Wonder with Shebs. Don't forget to follow me on all of my social media platforms. Until next time, bye for now.